For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to the number three pod. It's uh, the pod about one of the really top prospects in the Montreal Canadiens organization. And we are obviously Patrick Bexel and Anton Rosegård joining from Europe, but we have a special guest today and it's a former Ice on the Prize contributor, former Toronto Marlies assistant coach and writer of the Hockey Tactics, a great book that you really should read if you haven't. He has the newsletter, the Hockey Tactics newsletter. Welcome to the pod, Jack Han. Hi, nice to uh, finally put, put a voice to the name, I guess, but, but, but it's good to be doing uh, something for Habs Eyes on the Prize again, because obviously... You know, that's kind of how my my career started way back when. So it's nice. Yeah, and we're really happy to have you here. The, the knowledge you, that you possess and the information. And, and I mean, like the Tactica articles you write are, are fantastic. And I really, really would encourage any listeners, if you haven't signed up for Jack's newsletter or haven't bought the book, do so. Because they are invaluable when you watch hockey, even at the level that we normally watch hockey at. So, so please do that. Uh, Anton, how is things in Wales? Same old, same old. Uh, as great as always uh, as it can be in a lockdown COVID country. Yeah. Um, speaking about lockdown, and, and we're looking to the NCAA and the, the, the tournament they're having this year. Um, we're looking to Cole Cowfield. He's number three on the list. It, it was a few votes here and there that was where would you place Cowfield, but he was completely in top five uh, for everyone. And that's the kind of leverage the prospect has. Jack, you, you watched Cowfield a lot, Pre, first and foremost, maybe in his draft year, but also you, you, you showed interest of him uh, all through his career. Um, how would you describe Cowfield as a player? So, so I think, you know, for, first of all, he's a guy who can score goals. I think it's probably the most valuable 
skill that you're looking for in a hockey player. Um, I remember in this draft year, um, you know, I was still working for the Toronto Maple Leafs organization as as, uh, as an analyst, and I was doing a lot of video scouting. And you know, it was, it was always a treat to watch him and, and Jack Hughes and and you know the, the very talented talented group that they had at the U.S. National Development Program. So you know, I I got to know his game a little bit back then, and obviously, you know, with him moving to college hockey, I've I've taken the time to kind of watch a few of his recent games to see how his game has changed. So, so really, um, you know, if you're looking for a guy with a great shot, with a great nose for the scoring areas, he's the guy. Now, um, for him to successfully translate his junior career, which, you know, he was, he was a dominant scorer, to, uh, to college, which is now, you know, he's a point game player, which is very good at that level. But for him to translate that to the pros, I think we should also look at some other factors. There was a lot of talk about... Uh, him only getting set up because Jack Hughes was Hughes was on his line. Uh, do you agree with that, or, or do you agree with Cowfield saying you know someone had to put in, put the net puck into the net as well? Well, I I think it's definitely not just that him standing next to the goal and, and getting tap ins from from Jack Hughes, right? Um, but at at the same time, it's it's very rare for um, a player who, who's such a good scorer to also have the benefit of playing with a player who's so dominant in transition like Jack Hughes. Like, actually, the last example I can think about is Alex DeBrinkhead, who's in many ways a very comparable player to Caulfield, you know, getting to play with Connor McDavid when he was in w- with the Erie Otters, right? And it was a very similar situation where obviously uh, DeBrinkhead made the most of it, but also he was very good um, the following year when, when McDavid left. And you know, they still went to the Memorial Cup and, and they won. Uh, no, they, they they lost the finals against uh, Windsor, I believe. But they were still a very good team and they were one of the best teams in the OHL. So, you know, as we can see in college already, like Caulfield doesn't need a, a McDavid or a Hughes to be setting him up. He can, he can create those goals himself. But, but, but actually, it, it's not so much his scoring that I think will be more interesting. It's how the rest of his game is going to hold up once, you know, he... He graduates from college and then goes and plays pro hockey, whether it's in Laval or Montreal. Yeah, that, that is the interesting part, obviously. And, and we know for a fact that this season, um, his team, Wisconsin Badgers, is kind of a depleted team. They're not at the top of at the top of their game, really. Uh, they lost Alex Turco, among others. And I'm just wondering, what difference have you seen in his game going into his sophomore season? We know that he... He has five goals and four assists now. He started the season with more assists, and the goal, goals have kind of come uh, along the way. Um, do you see him getting into more of a leader position in the team? Is he more well-rounded as a player, uh, that he doesn't have to just be an elite shot player? I I like the way that he, he skates. I think he's gotten stronger and he's gotten more mature in, in his skating, which... I didn't love when he was with the U.S. program. I think it's gotten better. So, so the main thing with him is, um, in, in my book, Hockey Tactics 2020, I discuss Alex Galchenyuk and why he never really lived up to the billing of a, of a third overall pick, right? And, and now he's bounced around a little bit. And one of the reasons is his skating. So, you know, Galchenyuk was a very, very skilled player, a very strong player, but uh, he lacked agility because he was often stuck on his inside edges. 
So if you, if you can imagine, like, you know, trying to protect the puck or shield the puck and make a move, he like his legs made this A shape, right? Like his legs were wide. His center of gravity was in the middle and it was difficult for him to, to turn and to evade. And I saw some of that with Caulfield when, when he was a junior. Like, you know, he was at his best when he was moving off the puck and the defense wasn't really keyed in on him. And all of a sudden, Jack Hughes would find him with a pass in the scoring area and, and he would put the puck in the net, right? But what, what I'm seeing this year is he's... I, I like the way that he, he crosses over a lot more than before. His crossovers, I think they, they've gotten better. Um, you know, his agility, his agility has improved. So um, on that side, it's... It, it's looking, it's looking better. And, and he also has this, I think he's, he's a little bit more interested in going to battle for loose pucks or, or, or fight for those pucks than, than maybe before. Is it due to the fact that you maybe play less games and, and have more time for practice, and especially with this long offseason, that you have time to work maybe on correcting those inside edges and, and the, gravi- the center of gravity and, and maybe connect them to get a better balance that you say maybe... He, he can charge challenge for, for more pucks along the boards and lose pucks as well. Yeah, and and I think it's it's a big emphasis in college hockey where there's actually there, there's way more body contact and way more big hits in college hockey than even the in the NHL I would say. And you know teams are playing they're playing this very kind of physical north south game. They're asked they're asked to hit a lot. They're asked to forecheck. And I think in that sense, you know, Caulfield's game has evolved a little bit to be more pro-ready in that sense. You know, he, he's uh, like you see him looking to initiate contact, looking to hit guys, looking to to be, you know, kind of quote unquote more difficult to play against, which I think bodes well, because at least it tells me that he, he's not shy in that area. Right. Like he, he's able to, you know, commit to playing a more physical style. It's interesting to hear what you say about him improving his skating mechanics and everything because I remember post-draft when he was drafted by the Canadians and and obviously the Canadians have a lot of shorter players on the team already and then, um, well, the, the negatives on him, except for him being 5'7", was that he wasn't an elite skater and then uh, people would tend to say, well, how many how many guys do you see in the NHL who are that size and don't possess great skating mechanics? Um, I'm just wondering, like, um, do you think as a pro hockey player, obviously say that now he has improved his mechanics over the summer and everything, uh, how much do you think his lack of size combined with him not being that truly, well, speedy skater uh, will be a problem uh, and potentially limit him going forward into a pro career? So it's interesting you ask about this because recently I I did a study on Jack Hughes, which I I published uh, on my free newsletter there. Um, and one of the things that I, I realized as I was studying Jack Hughes's season in, in New Jersey, in which, you know, he, as an 18-year-old, is very impressive to make the NHL, but he actually struggled quite a bit in that season in terms of being able to drive play or, you know, play defense or even play center because he, he started the year at center but ended it on left wing. Um, you know, he wasn't able to gain the coach's trust uh, in that sense. And, and one of the reasons why is because as a junior – you know, Jack Hughes was putting up two points a game um, with the national development program because all he did was play the game at a high speed. And, and certainly it's a very uh, useful skill to have to be able to to make puck plays, um, you know, while, while you're going very fast. 
But the thing that that's really limiting him against NHL players is so he has this this fast game, right? He's he's able to take a lot of crossovers off the rush to attack the middle of the ice, and, and that's very good. You know, if you look at guys like uh, Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid or Matt Barzell, that's how they play. But what separates a guy like Hughes with the these other elite offensive players is um, they're they're also much better at playing a slow game, which means you know hitting the brakes, changing speeds, cutting back, um, you know fighting the second layer. In, in, off the rush. So, you know, the only thing that Jack Hughes did in his first year was he tried to play very fast, but, you know, being one dimensional in that way, um, actually against NHL defenders, you're, you're actually quite easy to defend. And, and for me, it's, I'm seeing a similar thing with Caulfield in the sense that, um, you know, his ability to play fast off the rush has improved because of his skating and because of his, you know, maturing physicality. But, I don't really see a very good delay game. You know, is he's not able to instill this fear in, in defenders when he's when he goes one on one and say, either I can go straight to the net and go through you, or I can cut back, force you to put on the brakes, and then find somebody else. You know, coming down the middle of the ice. So you know, Wisconsin is not a very strong team this year. Maybe he does, he doesn't have that surround that supporting cast. Um, but for for um, Caulfield to be a scoring threat first he has to get into the offensive zone and set up and before he can do that he he has to show defenders that he has both that that kind of that fast attack off the rush but he can also delay and play a little bit slower and, and manipulate them um, and, and that's one one aspect that's really helped to bring it is that you know a lot of people say that you know he's a smaller guy he's not very fast but the reason why he scored, you know, he scored 40 goals in the NHL and he's had three very good pro seasons so far is because he's able to play slower and, and find seams and find space and, and manipulate um, defenders better than Caulfield can. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying there because I, I've kind of been thinking like Cole Caulfield and his playing style and, you know, everyone talks about his elite shot and everything. Um, it feels very much like kind of a top six or bust player. Um, do you see qualities which could make him function in a bottom six role um, if he doesn't reach, you know, the height of his potential? Um, I, I think with the way that the league is trending now, like I'm seeing um, things that, you know, potentially could make him a good checker or, a, you know, a, a physical player or a guy that can, you know, play defensively. But for me, that would be a waste of his talent and his vision and, and, and all that stuff. So for me, like, you know, if I were working with him in a coaching or development context, I'd much rather show him how to play a a, a better delay game than mm -hmm. to say, okay, well, you're a checker now. Like, I don't think it's it's the best way to serve his talent or to serve his, uh, his, his hockey IQ. Right? You mentioned the hockey IQ. Uh, one thing that has stood out for, for many of Montreal Canadiens draft picks the last few years, uh, what what kind of hockey IQ does um, Caulfield have and how do you see it as, as one that has worked within the uh, one of the top organizations, as much as it pains us to say that Toronto is a top organization, uh, but uh, how much can he develop it and, and how can we spot it when we sit in front of the TV and watching these Wisconsin games? Sure. So, so what what I would say is whether let's say you play uh, at the recreational level, whether you're a competitive, uh, you know, minor hockey player, whether you play university hockey, whether you play pro hockey, if you want to score more goals, 
there's actually two very simple things that the Caulfield does that you can also emulate, right? Uh, the, the first thing is, is that, you know, good offensive players, they play off the pass. So you, you're not going to see Caulfield dump the puck out very often. You're not going to see him dump the puck in very often, though you might see it because of the, the system in which they play in Wisconsin. But, you know, he, he has this understanding, having played with Jack Hughes and all of these other talented players, that um, the way to create good scoring opportunities is to string one, two, three, four, maybe five passes together. Because every pass that you make, you're improving your position on the ice. You're forcing the defense to, to shift and to cover. And also you're able to find more space to, to attack, right? So, um, so yeah, so, so the number one thing, if you want to score more goals, become a better passer and become a better pass receiver. And, and those are two things that I think Caulfield does very well, su- surprisingly well, because he, he's not a guy that just shoots the puck in the net. The other thing is, is when you're moving off the puck, you're always looking to find space between two defenders. So we call that playing between checks, right? Like, you, like every time that Caulfield is able to catch a puck and, and then, you know, whether it's a shoot at one time or, or, or a catch-and-shoot situation, it's because first he skated between two defenders. He's not standing next to a guy who's covering him. He, he's not going to allow that. So what, what he's going to do is, as a defender, if you stand next to him to cover Caulfield, he's going to move away from you and then come back and skate between you and your nearest teammate. So by playing between checks, you, you make yourself very difficult to cover. So those are kind of two important details that, that are quite simple when you explain it, but it's actually something else to be able to execute it consistently in a game. Interesting. Um, a lot is, is said about, like, as you say, you know, playing off the pass and, and all that. How is Cole Caulfield's first touch? Is, it, is he ready to set up? We, we heard from... Um, Arpon Basu uh, the other day that uh, Montreal tries to to have that first pass into the front uh, coming from the back set, going straight out into the middle and then continue from there and, and play what, what we would probably consider a bit of tiki-taka hockey where you don't stop the puck you just move it on to someone else uh, and as um, the former Russian uh, coach Oh, I forgot his name. The, the Tarasov said, "You pass to someone with more speed than yourself," and that's simple hockey sure. in a way. But but is, yeah. does he have yeah. that skill to to just continue passing the puck forward at that point? So, I I think you know his his upbringing and and his path through the the U.S. national program. I think it it helps him with with that a lot because you know if if you think about kind of the the old Soviet Red Army style of possession hockey, actually the the U.S. National Development Program they do it better than almost anybody else right now. Um, so he he certainly has that background knowledge, um, but but the thing for me to to that really I'm I'm you know interested in in seeing is, you know, once you progress from the junior to the college to the pro level. It's not only the fact that you have a good first touch, right? Like if you think in soccer terms, uh, the ball just sticks to your foot, or, or you know, you can you can handle the ball with your head and with your chest, and and you can control it, right? So, you know, the best hockey players, the, the really good offensive players, they'll have that same kind of uh, feel. So, you know, they get a hard pass or they get a bad pass, and the puck just kind of dies in their stick, and they're able to control it. So, so that's that's a skill that I think he has already but the next step to that is 
for him to be more mindful of his puck position. So, it, you know, at the NHL level, like everybody has a good first touch, but the best players, what they do is they catch the puck in a position where they can hide it from their opponents. So instead of catching the puck, you know, in front of them between their feet, they're catching it to their side and they're, you know, we call it the hip pocket. So it's a position where you can shoot, you can pass, you can protect the puck. And it's, and it's, it's very hard to poke check because you have your, both of your feet and your entire body between the puck and the defender. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Uh, different from, from, yeah, so, different so, from soccer, but where, where you try to keep it between your legs, but here you try to keep it to the offside exactly, so the players yeah, so, can't yeah, get so, to it. Yeah, so it's not only that, you know, the ball is, is it's nice and stable and you're able to cradle it, but it's also like where it's where the puck is positioned. Like the, the wear is very important in hockey. If you watch, uh, you know, once again, the great players like Crosby or McKinnon or Barzell, um, they do a great job of never exposing the puck to their opponents unless, you know, it's to set up a deke or to set up a move for to, to take advantage of that. So, you know, the thing I see with Caulfield is, you know, he, He's very good shooting the puck um, off the one-timer, but I find that when he's catching the puck, he still has it a little bit too central, a little bit too in front of him rather than to his side. Because it, as a player, if, if you're going to one-time a puck, then the puck has to be in the middle. But if you're trying to you know, catch and shoot on your strong side or catch the puck and cut back or catch the puck, pass and protect it, you want the puck to your side and not to the front. And also it makes it more difficult for defenders because they don't know what you're going to do. If you're just going to shoot the puck every time, they know that this is exactly. what we have to prepare exactly. ourselves for. Exactly. And, 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 and I feel like it's a, this puck positioning concept is very underrated because a lot of young offensive players who aren't maybe you know, technically mature, they'll, they'll progress to a higher level of play and they'll make a lot of turnovers. right? And the natural reaction is like, oh, well, you know, you would make fewer turnovers if you dumped the puck in more or if you were simpler with your with your offensive choices. But oftentimes with these young players who, who you know, play off the pass and try to play play with skill and, and are creative, the, the better way to go about it is to work on their puck positioning. So instead of saying, you know, you should simplify your game, what I'm saying is you should adjust the details so that whatever you do try to do is a high, has a higher success rate. So, so if, you know, let, let's say we, we take Cole Caulfield, we drop him into the Montreal Canadiens lineup today, I would expect him to initially make a lot of turnovers because of his puck position. It's interesting what you're saying there, because I think I got the feeling after, well, the end of last year that he kind of wanted to go pro, be, be one and done in the NCAA, especially since he sees his former USNTDP teammates, Jack Hughes, Alex Turco, Trevor Zegras, all sign their ELCs and, and continue forward with their careers. But at the same time, like we know what the Canadians kind of had, have done in the past when they rushed prospects into the system very fast and they haven't had um, a great developmental system in in uh, well St. John or you know wherever they had their AHL team um, and I'm just thinking like w- what you say here I mean that there are still a lot of things to work on for Caulfield in a well in a minor in a minor dead what can you say in a minor um, in a minor setting basically like the NCAA and it kind of sounds like it's more sound to keep him there for now, but I'm just wondering, do you think with the progress that he showed 
throughout this summer coming into his sophomore season, do you think he will be ready to sign this entry-level contract at the end of this year? Because otherwise he has two more years of eligibility in the NCAA and there's no reason to rush him. Sure. Um, I just, like, I think there's a way for, for it to work in, in any scenario, but but for him, I, I, I'm just hoping that he's getting the correct information and he's, he's able to put in reps on the things that he, he needs to work on. So, you know what I see as a player, obviously with with a great, with a with a great shot, with great st- scoring instincts, but also you know he, he's playing very kind of north south. He's um, he's playing more physical, and I, I just wish that he's able to kind of add some more east west elements to his game. You know that delay, that that you know slowing down, controlling the the pace, manipulating defenders. Um, you know if you watch him play with Wisconsin right now, he's. He's initiating contact. He's looking to hit people, which is very good. But you know, if you're playing against AHL pros or NHL pros, sometimes you know, if you go and hit a guy and he's he's you know, uh, four inches and, and 30 pounds heavier than you, uh, you, you might just bounce off and land on your ass, right? <laughs> uh, so so if you watch like um, a guy like like Patrick Kane, who's a guy who's actually not overly fast. He's obviously very small. Um, he's not overly strong, but um, the way that he goes about initiating contact is different. Like he'll actually uh, push off of defenders or he'll kind of skate at a guy, but then turn away at the last second so that, you know, when he gets cross-checked, it actually helps him because it gives him the, it gives him the speed boost in the opposite direction. So um, it's almost like, um, you know, we're talking about like Bridget, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Like, you know, like Caulfield looking to, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's like Caulfield is like kickboxing, and then Patrick Kane is like you know jujitsu or, or uh, you know that that kind of that. Uh, um, capoeira dance. It's almost like a, yeah, it's more of like a softer approach, right? So for for Caulfield to I think be successful in the NHL and to stay injury free and to be effective, he also has to embrace that kind of softer approach of like how to take contact, how to roll off, how to use contact to give himself a, a, a speed boost and, and all, all that other, other stuff, right? So, uh, and a lot of it comes with, you know, his ability to, to, cut, to cut back, to, to use crossovers, to turn, and, and it's all east kind of. You're breaking up a little bit, Jack. You, you, you broke up a little bit there, Jack. Sorry. Yeah. So, 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 so I'm just saying that like, um, for, for him, I'm still looking for him to develop that East West, that change of speed that, you know, playing inside of contact and using contact rather than just trying to kind of break through everything north South. Yeah, exactly. So, and w- what I meant as well was that it, it's no reason to rush any of that just to get him to Laval or to get him to Montreal, especially now with the way the Canadians have set up on their winger positions, adding Toffoli, adding Gallier uh, to a new contract, adding Anderson. Yeah, I mean, it would, it, it would be difficult for him to, to make the team as a right winger, right? Like I, I read this week that... He, He's saying that he, he wouldn't mind playing left wing either, which, uh, you know, I guess it's good because when he has his one timer, which is his biggest weapon. Uh, mm-hmm. But but certainly, like, I, I don't see a need to rush him. And I think and I think there's still a lot of technical and tactical maturity that he can he can go and go and gain. You obviously won the cup with the Marlies. Uh, you have experience from the AHL that few of us uh, 
experts or sofa experts or, or home experts, whatever you're going to call us, uh, has. But would you do you see him transition into the AHL and how long would he need there before he gets to the big club? Uh, very, uh, very difficult to say because, you know, I, I, I think back to when the Marlies won the Calder Cup in 2018. We had three or four players on there who could have played for the Leafs, and they only they were only there because the Leafs were already eliminated. You know, Travis Dermott was already an NHL player. Andreas Janssen was already an NHL player. Uh, Martin Marincin is is a perfectly good sixth or seventh defenseman. Um, you know, like uh, you know, we have Pierre Engvall, who, who who now is a very good bottom six player. Like we had a lot of guys who really shouldn't be there, right? And and that's how you have a good AHL team is you have NHL players. And, but that also helps developing these younger kids coming in, meeting up that, as you say, the physicality of, of maybe the and, and better balance from the defenders of uh, that is borderline NHLers that you, you will bounce off if you make it a wrong turn and you, you get that extra push of speed if you make the right turn. Um, so, so it's really, really interesting to, to hear you and you, you have enlightened me in so many ways just in these what, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, to what to look for. Um, you, you started out at Eyes on the Prize. I remember one of the first articles I wrote about you uh, or from you was um, was it Concordia Hockey where you played, you put the, the ladies in a reverse order, more or less, that they, you started them on the first line and if they worked there, they could probably work on the second line or if it didn't work there, they could work on the second line and then the third. Um, yeah, yeah. A- so, so, so I was with uh, McGill University. McGill, yeah, yeah. It's Sorry. Cool. Close, yeah. Concordia is like a division rival for us, but but yeah. I, like... I, I went to Université de Montréal, so yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Another uh, another big rival. rival for, yeah. For, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, be, the, the reason why we did that was uh, so what we did was we, we would often put our, our rookie players um, who you know we see in kind of a top six or top pair role down the road. We all we often started them with very strong players as opposed to you know, in the bottom six or on the third pair because, you know, the these players who play with skill and who play with good hockey IQ, as I, as I mentioned before, they often play off the pass. And to play off the pass, you need to play with good players. So what, what we would often have is, like, we would have, you know, on our top line, we would have two of our established veterans who are our very best players, and then we would have a rookie, a rookie who we think would play top line, you know, in her second or third or fourth year. Uh, or whatever. So, so you know, an example of let's say you know Caulfield makes uh, he he takes these big strides throughout the season, and perhaps he is ready to make a push to make the Habs next year. Um, let's say I would start him with uh, let's say Dano and Tatar or or something like that, right? Or I would start him with Suzuki and um, and Toffoli, whatever. Like, so for him, immediately first of all, he he, he has. He's able to play with good players who can help him, um, but also, you know, he he doesn't have that pressure where where it's like I have to make a play myself, otherwise, uh, the guy I give it to is just going to dump it in. So, so I think to develop skill players, I think that that's a very good approach, um, as long as this player is at least somewhat ready to play at that level. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we will have a World Junior Championship coming up this winter, and um, as a returnee from last year Cole Caulfield will obviously be one of the trusted players in the American team 
what do you think we can expect from him if there uh, if there in fact is a WJC this um, this winter? Well, I it's hard to say what we can expect, but personally, I, I would like them to I would like to see him dominate because uh, if he thinks that he's ready to play pro hockey, then this should be a walk in the park for him, right? So, so I'm looking for him to really play to his strength and to, you know, create a lot of shots and a lot of scoring chances because, uh, you know, he, he really should be better than a lot of these players in, in, in every way. Uh, so, so then, you know, if, if he does great, then excellent. And if he doesn't do so great, then it, it could possibly be a wake-up call for him or, or a way for us to, to go and look at, you know, what's still missing from his game. Should we look more to? I mean, for a guy who is so, um, we look to, we look so much at the stats. Basically, he's a he's a goal scorer first. If you only have like, I mean, you you have a limited sample size in a tournament like that. Um, is it more important that he plays well or that he gets the goals in? Well, it's certainly more important to play well, right? Yeah. If, if if every if, if you have ten pucks go off your your butt and into the net, like, have you done anything? I, not really. No, exactly. <laughs> so, All right, people in Saga did a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, but but really, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking for him to first of all play to his strength, which is you know creating uh, high danger scoring chances, uh, shooting a lot of pucks, but also to I want to see all these other skills about you know in terms of getting up ice, in terms of manipulating defensemen, in, in terms of attacking off the road, in terms of creating passing sequences with his teammates. Like like I'm looking for those things. If, if he can do all of that, then great. And he will obviously be put in a situation which is better than the one he has in Wisconsin right now. So it will be kind of he, he will have other players who who can kind of take the take the pressure off him and just put him in a situation to succeed, which will be interesting to follow as well. Yeah, and and, and actually, you know, one one final thought I would have is I I would really look forward to him playing with Nick Suzuki eventually because you know like Suzuki is a player that that I've watched for quite a few years now back when he was in Owen Sound. And uh, same thing with Caulfield, you know, smaller guy, not overly fast in a straight line. You know, a lot of people were doubting whether he can make it in the NHL or make as a center in the NHL. And, and I think, you know, he's well on his way to proving these people wrong because he has such a refined, uh, you know, east-west game in terms of being able to delay, to turn back, to change speeds, to, to manipulate defenders. Um, and, and I think if, if some of that, is able to, you know, if we can kind of teach some of that to Caulfield, then I think he'll be a very good NHL player as well. It's been enlightful. It's been great, Jack. Thank you for joining us for this pod. We, we got a much better understanding of what uh, Cole Caulfield brings to the table and what he needs to work on. Um, you should really follow Jack Han on, on uh, Twitter. Do you have your handle there, Jack? Yeah, so it's uh, J-H-A-N-H-K-Y. Why make it? Well, yeah, why make it easy, right? <laughs> and <laughs> and also, you really should uh, buy his book and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, for me, it has helped a lot just watching the Habs prospects in 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 Europe, but it will help you, especially before the World Junior Championships comes along. Read it and study some of these prospects yourself with the help of Jack. Thank you again, Jack. It's been a pleasure, really, to have you on the pod. And uh, good luck in the future. And we hope to maybe get back to you sooner rather than later. Thank you, guys. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Sure.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.